it's building the temple. And if in Philippians chapter 2, we're studying Philippians in our, in our precept class this year, and we were studying this particular passage a couple of weeks ago, and I thought about it and how, it, so it's very apropos to what we're looking at today. So in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says this. Paul's writing to the church he dearly loved at Philippi, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, <clears throat> but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both the will and to do for his good pleasure. So what we're going to look at today is that there's a solution to this apathetic state that the people had gotten into. There's a solution to spiritual apathy in our lives. Because so many times in the church, here's what happens. We're glad that Jesus died on the cross and we could be born again. We could be part of the church and we... When we die, we get to go to heaven. We're all going to be together again. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We're cool. We're excited about that. And then we just kind of rock along and do life, and we're not worried about building the temple. We're already in. But God says that's not good enough. That's being apathetic. What God wants is for each of us to have a burning desire and a passion to build that temple. Whatever my place in the construction project might be, to work on building the temple. I might be somebody that plants seeds. Paul writes about this, the church at Corinth. Someone else might be the person that comes along and waters that seed. Third person might come along, be the person that comes along and sees fruit from that seed that's been planted, that's been watered over and over again, and it finally bears fruit, and a new stone is added to the temple. And then that stone begins to grow, and then that stone can go out and share with someone else. Our number one priority has to be, whether it's my time, my resources, whatever it might be, is that God has me and has us corporately on the planet to build that temple. Doesn't mean we shouldn't have houses. God didn't say to these people through Haggai, I don't have houses. What he said was, I sent you to build my temple. That's your number one priority. And you can have a house, but don't put all your resources and all your priorities into your own house and ignore mine. I have to come first. Whether it's your resources, your money, it's your time, it's your talent, God comes first. And there's plenty for the other. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. So Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, and this is the principle I want you to see as we walk through this today, that what it means to be a believer, and he's writing to them expecting to die, and he's writing to them to rejoice in the, their circumstances, and he's getting, he thinks he's going to die. And he's saying to them, I'm so thrilled that the preacher doesn't have to be in town for you to behave. Not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. That you're doing well. Continue to work out. Please notice that little word out. Incredibly important. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not, please look up here and get this, because the church I grew up in, we believe in working for your salvation. That's not what Paul says. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It means you already possess it. You're born again. You're a child of God. He says, work out what's in you already because the very next verse, verse 13 in that Philippians passage says this. For it is God, or because it is God who is at work in you. In 
you. So you're simply in the cooperation with the Holy Spirit who's doing the work in you. He's using you to manifest what he's doing on the inside. You're the tool that God is working through. You ever been called a tool? There'll be something excited. I'm a spiritual tool for God. You're working out what God is working in. So you get thrilled and you get excited about who you are in Christ. And you share that. It's important to you. That's the idea. The solution to spiritual apathy is simply get back on the program. So let's begin to walk through what he tells Judah to do through Haggai. And remember for us, the idea is God is at work. You just got to cooperate with him. And when the Holy Spirit who's at work in you prompts you to do something, do it. Peter was sharing this earlier today. When the Holy Spirit in you says, don't do that, guess what? Don't do it. Pretty simple. When you're studying the Word of God and the principles in the Word of God will never contradict, the Holy Spirit will never contradict what the Bible teaches. That's why when you hear some knucklehead preach that God says do this and, it, and it's a direct violation of the Word of God, guess what you know? He can get it from God. I don't know where he got it from, but if it contradicts the Bible, he did not get it from God. God is not like that. He's not capricious. He's changing his mind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's look at what he tells the children of Israel, Judah. Haggai sent to them. It's a beautiful picture. Let's see what happens. Go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. So the solution to this being apathetic toward God, number 1, verse 8, just go get back to work. Do what you're supposed to do. Work for your God. Look at verse 8 again after... We talked about before, and they're apathetic, and God's saying, here, I'm having to discipline you because two years have gone by. Now 18 years, 16 years, you work two. Now 16 years have gone by. You're not doing what I told you to do, and you got all kinds of excuses. Just get back to work. Do what I tell you to do. Verse 8, go up into the mountains. So God says here, very, very specific. Go up into the mountains, bring wood, and build the temple. Note that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. So number one, the first solution to spiritual apathy is get back to work for your God. Just do what God has already told you he expects you to do. By the way, verse eight, and you're studying the book of Haggai, it's really interesting. Verse eight is the only command in the book. Everything else he's laying out and he's teaching, but here is a command from God. Notice the way he says it in verse eight, go. As he's saying, once you get together, you get a committee, uh, vote on it, have a couple of meetings, uh, get together and eat chicken, do, do something, and then decide if you want to do it. Is that what God said? He sends God's man, and God's man says, thus says the Lord of hosts. In other words, you ought to pay attention. God has something to say. And here's the first thing he's telling you to do. Go. I sent you here 18 years ago to build the temple, and you stop. So here's what I want you to do. I'll make it real simple for you. i give you three verbs. God says, Go. Bring and build. Go up, get the wood, bring it back, and get to work. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not hard. I told you to do this 18 years ago. You're not doing it. So now, you keep, you're working, you're busting your rear ends, you're getting all this stuff together, and you're putting all this money in a bag, you're putting it in the can, and you're sitting on the can, and guess what? There's a hole in the bottom of the can. And when you look in there, it's not going to be anything because I'm going to blow it away. So you can spend all your time and your resources personally on yourself. God says, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. It ain't going to be there. I want you to do what I told you to do. I'm going to take care of you. 
but your first priority has to be to build my temple. So now go, bring, and build. Now notice the two things, verse 8, that are the result when you simply get back to work and do what God told you to do. By the way, it's not like you're just doing it to do it. You're doing it because you want to. You love your God. you got the right heart. You're not doing it because, look, if I do this, if, if, if I help Rhiannon and, and I work in Kid Rock, maybe, maybe I'll get a notch on my Bible. No, you're doing it. Why? Because there's a need. You're doing it because you love your God. You're doing it because God said, this is what I expect you to do. Now go do it. And do it with a good heart. Not, man, I got to, man, I got to go down to church. I got to, no. So look at the end of verse 8. Look at the two things that it says. God is, number one, pleasured. Verse 8, I'll take pleasure in it. God is pleased. He would be pleased because he told his children to do something and they're doing it. Go get the wood, bring the wood, and build my temple. That will please me. By the way, could God have just said temple and it existed? Of course he could. He's omnipotent. Remember Philippians passage, you're working together with God. It's a privilege to build the temple. Not, oh man, I got to work. Like help days coming up in a couple of Saturdays. Oh, I got to go down there and do it again. Or Randy will feel like I'm a punk. You do it because you want to. Your heart's in it. You're thrilled about it because you get a chance to do something for somebody else. Whatever your gifts are in the kingdom. It might be service. It could be a speaking gift. Or you have talent like, like Peter and Beth up here today and you use that for the glory of God. God's really thrilled. He gave you that in the first place. You're just using it for him. So he's pleased in the fact you're going to go, you're going to bring, you're going to build. But secondly, he's honored. That's the word glorified. God is glorified. In other words, God said, when you consider my priorities and you do it my way, then the whole idea of glorifying God always has to do with that in our lives he's honored and other people, all the pagans around them, the Samaritans and the others that were around them as they go back to the land that had been fighting against them, when they start building that temple despite the opposition and they see that temple going up to glorify God because it represents the presence of the one true God that they worship, what glorified means is they see a correct estimate of what God is worth. In other words, when the temple building becomes their number one priority, what do all the pagans around them see? They're really serious about their faith. That's what God wants from us. That beyond everything else, all the different places we're going to go today and the rest of this week, that whatever vocation I'm in, wherever you find yourself in any relationship and dealing with people, that your number one priority is that God is glorified in how you handle that relationship. That you simply do what God wants you to do and he gets glorified in that. The Westminster Catechism, written years ago and used by so many churches for years, says this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God. In other words, why did God create us in the first place? So that people would know who he is. What's the only thing God made in his image? Look at the person next to you. That's what God looks like. Ooh, that could be kind of ugly at times. You ever look in the mirror and go, ooh, I hope God don't look like that. The only thing God created in his image are you and I. You ever think about that? 
It's the only thing created with intellect, conscience, a moral principle, values, the ability to emote, the ability to create, to be artistic, to think, to see something, to create something and then see it to an end. We have the capacity to be spiritual. Nobody else on the planet and the universe has that. Nothing does. We do. It's the only thing God created that he said was very good. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who created the universe, when he came down to die and redeem the entire universe, by the way, what did he become? The word became flesh. We will celebrate Christmas shortly. And dwelt where? Among us. He became a human being, not a dog. I love dogs. Might have become, no, not cats, I hate cats. He became a human being. Why? Because we're the only thing that can know God personally, relate to him. We could be born again. We could have God indwell us and glorify him. I hope you understand what a privilege that is. In the book of Micah, that incredible prophet, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says these words in Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression like the pagans around us do? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul like the pagans around us do. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but? Here's what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, he was having them build the temple, and they were going to reinstitute the sacrificial system. Yes, but it wasn't about the animals, and it wasn't about the blood, and it wasn't about the fire. It was about them being people of mercy, people of righteousness, people who knew the one true God, so all the pagans around them would know when you go to that temple, you're going to meet God. Not some idol we've created where we were sacrificing children to so that we could get that God on our side. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. And God wanted his people to show them, I am. Theirs ain't. Your God is. Theirs is not. So get back to his job. Build his temple. Number two. Number one, you just simply go back to work for your God. Number two. You obey your God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Remnant is the name of the, that's what the people are called who came back from Babylon. They're called the remnant. With all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. I love this because you see the picture of the way God expects it to work. They weren't doing what God had told them to do. If you remember when we first got into this, I'm just reading verses 1 through uh, 7. When Haggai came on the scene, who did he go to first? He went to the leaders. Went to Joshua. Went to Zerubbabel. And said, hey, it's time for you boys to step up and lead. This is what God says to do. Now notice verse 12. Look at the beginning of it. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, 
the governor, the leader, the royal line, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. You have the royal line, you have the priestly line, and what is it? So what's the very next word in your Bible say? They did what? Obeyed. Leaders lead. Leaders lead. If the leaders don't lead, what are the people going to do? They're not going to follow. They're not. So it begins with the leaders. Zerubbabel, the governor. Joshua, the high priest. Obey. Leaders lead. They obeyed God and the voice of God's prophet and said, we will do what God has told us to do. So what do the people do? Verse 12. With all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of God and the words of God's prophet. When the leader stood up and said, we are going to obey God, what did the people do? They said, we will obey God as well. They listened, the remnant, the returnees. They accepted what they should have been doing and said, we will do it. Third point, verse 12, you fear your God. Notice the end of it. Verse 12, the people feared the presence of the Lord. In the Hebrew, what this means is, because so many times when you hear fear of the Lord, we really don't understand it. What it literally means here is they stood in awe of who their God was. One of the most encouraging things you can ever do in your life as a believer, in your prayer life, in your devotional life, I noticed this morning out in the lobby that the new little Our Daily Breads are out. I know they seem kind of silly. But even if you don't do anything but just five minutes a day, you spend time just contemplating who your God is. I think sometimes we get so busy that we just stop for, stop remembering who our God is. That word, that phrase, the people feared the presence of the Lord meant they just stood in awe that a God who could say, let there be light and every star that you see in the galaxy among millions of others leapt into existence when he said, let there be stars. The Bible says he made the stars also. I used to do that when I was a kid. I wasn't even a, a, a Christian. When I was a kid, I used to think about things like that, like, wow, this is just good. I love the layout. I know I was kind of crazy, but I'd, I would like to just lay in the grass at night and just look at the sky. You know, you're going to count the stars, you know. Okay, one, two, seven hundred. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. One, two. Just lay there. And even now, living right here in Arlington, sometimes it's so clear, and like I can go in the backyard where I live and just look up. That moon is so bright, and you can see Venus. And just think, that's just one little speck of a universe that my dad said, let there be, and it existed. That's who my dad is. That's who your heavenly father is. That's what it means here. They simply feared the presence of their God. But they also feared his discipline. Because what had he just shown them? In verses 1 through 8, he had just shown them, if you don't do it my way, you're going to fill that bag up with money and then you're going to go to look in there. What's going to be in there? Nothing. You're going, to, you're going to go build your own paneled houses and let my house lie in ruins. And then when you're going to, you're going to 
drink this water and you're not going to get filled up. You're going to eat and you're not going to be full. full. I'm going to discipline you if you don't do it my way. That's the other side of the fear of the Lord that sometimes we forget. Just be in awe of who your God is, but also understand he's your daddy. The one thing I knew about my dad growing up, and we had no kind of relationship at all, but I knew if he was getting ready to spank me, I was terrified because I knew it was going to hurt, and I knew I did not want that. And what we need to understand in a loving way, when you're in awe of who your God is, you don't want your God to discipline you. What do you want to do? You want to please him. You want him to be honored in your life. You want him to say, well done, Randy. Good job, son. Now, do it again. Just do what I tell you to do, and I'll be with you forever. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So if there's a problem in my relationship with my dad, whose fault is it? It's always mine. Always mine. Because he never changes. He never leaves. He never forsakes. And he never stops doing what's best for me. Now, as an earthly father, I would like to have been that kind of father. But I made mistakes. I still do. As a grandfather, I, I make mistakes. I don't want to. I might give the wrong candy to the wrong grandchild. I don't care. I'm just handing out candy. Because that's what grandparents do. It's in the job description. I read it the other day. Give them anything they want so they think you're cool. Don't worry about it. That's their parents' problem. You know, my, my kids gave me enough trouble growing up. They, it, it ain't my problem. I'm just going to have fun with them because they're going to reach an age when I ain't cool anymore like one of them thinks now. <laughs> I love being a grandfather. I had a dear friend this week had his first, his first grandchild was born. I won't embarrass mine even though she's sitting on the front row. But when Ella was born, I was like, whoo, this is so cool. She's going to like me. Because we're going to have fun. And, and I, I remember keeping her when she was just a little baby. Every Friday, just me and her all day long. I won't tell stories on her. And I, and I love that little girl. She's not little anymore. She's almost as tall as me. But she's my granddaughter. Now, how much does your heavenly father love you? You know, the Bible says if you earthly fathers know how to give a good gift, how much more does your heavenly father know? How much more will he give you? You see the point? That's the idea of standing in awe. Fear your God. Not, ah, he's going to get me, but, whoo, I'm so glad he's my dad. I'm so glad my father is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. My God is holy. My father owns the universe. Not just the cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, I realize metaphorically what God was saying. He owns the universe. Remember when you were a little kid? You go to VBS, you'd sing he's got the whole world in his hands. He doesn't have just the whole world. He's got the whole universe. Fearing, being in awe of him, his discipline. He had just shown them and then be so thrilled about his presence. His presence. I love this about God. He is omnipresent. There, the Bible uses metaphors like this. If I sink to the depth of the ocean, he is there. 
If I ascend to the heights of the heavens, he is there. There is no place I can go and escape from his presence. Sometimes we want to escape, but we can't. That's like, I, I love that passage of Philippians we looked at earlier. Paul said, I'm just glad that I don't have to be in town for you to behave, but guess what? God's still there whether I'm in town or not. He's always there. Well, I can go to the heights of the heavens. I can go to the depths of the ocean. There's no place I can go and escape the presence of God. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. There are times when I can't sleep at night. I'll get up three or four in the morning. And This morning was one of those. And I got up, it was like four o'clock. And I went, did I, I'm always one of these people, did I set my clocks the right way? I guess I shouldn't worry about the fall. Worst case is you'll be early, right? But I'm up at four o'clock and, and, and sometimes when I, I just, I get up and I'll go in the kitchen and drink water and or I may go sit in my office. And then a lot of times I just uh, find myself just, I'll go in the living room so I don't bother Mary, just sit there and pray. Just think, man, in the entire universe, God is focused on little Rando right now. I love that. That I mean that much to him. The Bible says God loves when one of his children passes away and comes home. Like the father greeting the child coming home. My dad loves me. And all he wants me to do is just do what he tells me to do. Remember when your kids were little? Some of your kids are still little. And you would say, Let's just do what I tell you. My dad used to say, just do what I tell you. And then I'd start to say that W word. And he said, don't say it. Don't say why. Just do it. My father doesn't, heavenly father doesn't make mistakes. Everything's perfect. The Bible says he's the, he gives good and perfect gifts. The father of lights gives good and perfect gifts gifts so number four verse 13 rejoice in your God I love the way this turns out it's very rarely do you see this in a lot of the prophets but you see it here verse 14 13 Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people saying I am with you says the Lord so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, host their God, the temple. Rejoice in your God. He tells you to get back to work, and he tells you to obey him. But notice his promise in verse 13. I am with you. Remember, the reason they stopped working on the temple 16 years before was because they had enemies coming against them, particularly the Samaritans, but others, to stop them. And they finally got it stopped. What's God saying? You go back to work on my temple. I am with you. Don't worry about the Samaritans. Don't worry about your enemies. I told you what to do. You go do it. And here's my promise to you. I'm with you. Now, applicably, Please look at me and get this because it's so important. What's our job? What's our commission? It's to build what? The temple. The church. Are we, do we have enemies? Are we going to be persecuted? You better believe it. We live in a, in a post-Christian culture. Charles Colson called it. It's an anti-Christ culture. But you know what? That commission hasn't changed. What's God say to us? Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make learner followers of me and I am what? With you. 
to the end of the age. Has that changed? No. So he tells us, go. Make learner followers. Go. And I will be with you. Don't give up. Even though time, at times it's frustrating and you think you're, you're, you're beating your head against the wall. Read Jeremiah. 50 years. 50 years. Not one convert. Not one positive response. But did he give up? He wanted to. He wanted to. But God wouldn't let him. Don't give up. Jesus said, it's not your business, the results. It's your business to go and do. Go and do. That's it. Just go and do. Let's read you some quotes from Scripture. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are where? With me. With me. The Apostle Paul said, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isaiah says, do not fear, for I am with you, God says. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I am your God. You trust me, you obey me, rejoice in me. You see my promise. A couple quick things that we're done. I love this. Look at verse 14. You rejoice in your God. First of all, you got his promise. I'm with you. But secondly, I love this. Notice what he does. See the word in verse 14? He stirs their spirits. He stirs their spirits. Look at verse 14 again. He says in verse 13, I'm with you. And then verse 14, he stirs the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirs the spirit of uh, uh, Joshua, and he stirs the spirit of the people. Stirred. They were moved by the presence of God and the promise of God. They were all stirred. And it simply means that God was moving in their lives. God was prompting them. They were excited because notice the very next thing it says, which is the third point there under number four, his work. What did they do? After the, after the promise of God and the stirring of God, what did they do? They started working again, didn't they? Go back to number one on your handout. What does it say? Get back to the What? The work of God. See how it circles back? God says, work on my temple. They decided, no, nah, we don't want to do that. We got other things going on. We got to build our houses. We got problems. The Samaritans. So God had to teach them a lesson. And then after that, he said, now, you trust me. Here's my promise. Rejoice in me and get back to work. Get back to work. The Bible says, Paul says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. His workmanship. James, the Apostle James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. C.S. Lewis, incredible author, said this about Christianity. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Moderately important. In other words, I don't know. I'm saved, but I don't know. One last example. Let's share a quick story with you, and then we're done. In Revelation, God's giving John that incredible picture. He's giving the messages to the churches from the lips of Jesus Christ. What did he say to the lukewarm church, the apathetic church? What did Jesus say to them? 
I will vomit you out of my mouth. Does that sound good to you? Getting ready to go eat lunch? If Jesus would say to them, I will vomit you out of my mouth, what was he saying to them? What do you vomit? Stuff you're sick of, right? It's making you sick. What Jesus was saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Who likes to drink warm water? Lukewarm. I don't want it. Jesus said, you either in or you're out. Don't play any games. Mary shared an article with me a couple of weeks ago. So this is very recent. And all the fires that were going on in California. Remember, they were in the, the Napa Valley and in the vineyards and people were just losing incredible millions of dollars. And the gist of the article was this. I'm not going to read it. I don't have time. Here's the gist of the article. Is that the migrant workers who were in there were just trying to survive and get out with what was on their back. The guys that owned the vineyards were, tr- were down there trying to save their millions upon millions of dollars. And where were they working? Side by side. And the quote from the article was, the fire was the great leveler. You see, you don't, it doesn't matter how many millions you have. When the fire comes, it comes, doesn't it? Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? There's nothing more important than the temple of Jesus Christ. We all have different amounts that God has blessed us with. It simply becomes about your priorities. Not to be apathetic. To say, God, what do you want me to do? And rejoice in your God. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you that we have a father like you who is real, who is the omnipotent God who owns the universe, who created it, who sustains it, yet he's our dad. So, Father, I pray we'd be motivated. We wouldn't be apathetic. We'd be excited about being born again, be excited about being your children, be excited about the future. As hard as it looks sometimes, we would just simply say, all right, God, what do you want me and us to do? What do you want me specifically to do in in my giving, in my time, to help build the temple and sharing my faith, living, being real, that we won't let your temple lie in ruins. We would build it. We wouldn't be apathetic. We'd be excited about that privilege. So for, for us as believers today, individually and as Christ's church, Lord, you use us to build your temple And for somebody here who's not a believer, that this would be the moment they'd say to Jesus, yes, I want to be one of those living stones. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Forgive me. Save me. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we...